Welcome back to another episode. It's your guy, Arjun Paliwal here, Head of Research and Director at Investigate Buyers Agency, and you're tuning into another episode of the Investigate Podcast. Now, you might have noticed behind me, whether in some of our episodes or media recordings, or when I'm on the telly, the Kobe Bryant poster next to me or behind me. Uh, Kobe Bryant's been one of my favorite and is still today one of my all-time favorites alongside LeBron for basketball or NBA players. Now, next to it, you'll notice on this, I guess it's showing upside down or opposite direction for you all, but legacy. And uh, legacy starts off with, you know, making a lasting impact, demonstrating, I guess, direction, what you want to set, whether it be for an industry, the game of basketball and Kobe Bryant, um, or the impact of people's lives, the team members around me. And that's something I focus on and stare at literally every day as I'm here in the office. And so today's episode is just, uh, you know, ripping out a, I guess, a sheet on that journey or on that book that I'm writing around legacy. And this is around setting it straight when it comes to the real estate industry. Now, why is that so important? Well, you, the listeners, the consumers or fellow industry professionals, you hear a lot of buzzwords out there in the buyer's agency and real estate space. And I thought, what better way to then use this episode here to actually go through some of these buzzwords? Share what they mean, share how you can avoid getting trapped, but also make sure that you can get ahead with understanding what the right way to interpret some of this language is. And we're going to talk about the buyer's agency and real estate industry in particular. So if you're out there, whether you saw a Facebook ad, a social post, maybe a friend talk about something, or even a YouTube video, how can you get ahead in making sure you understand what they mean, or in some cases, what they don't mean? And that's what today's episode is all about. So again, it's Arjun here. And keen to share this with you in another episode of the Investigate Podcast. Welcome back to the show. Now, today's episode I mentioned earlier, industry buzzwords. And I've got a couple to go through. So the first one is something I'm starting to see creep up more and more as time has gone on. And this is the concept of under market value. Now, it's a concept used to maybe make few people feel that they've gotten a really good deal or feel that they've purchased extremely well. And as a result, people at times look at this terminology and think that they're ahead of the game. You know, whether it be 5%, 10%, under market value is this term that keeps coming up. Now, let's break down what under market value is. Because now that we understand what the aim of the term is or what it signifies, what actually is the process to get there? And so firstly, when we break down under market value, it stands for a purchase that's being made below the actual value of the asset. So I just want to pause there and repeat that once more. A purchase being made at a price below the actual value of the asset. Now, if you were tuning in there, that was very contradictory of me in the statement alone and the description of this, right? Purchase below the value. So we've got one angle that's purchase price and the other angle that's value. So the key here is to really understand when you are making a decision, what is the value? How do you even get to there? And if the purchase is constantly under the value, don't really buy it. Now, when I say I personally, I'm not talking about just me as a buyer's agent. I'm talking about me as a buyer's agent, a business owner that has transacted on over 500 plus transactions of real estate. and 
someone that personally owns property and has been able to invest in property many times over. Because guess what? If I believed in it, wouldn't have I have done it or executed it for at least the majority or if not all my purchases? Wouldn't it be the slogan I shout out to the world to say that every purchase you do here at Investigate is under market value? Let's take a reason or a deep dive into the reason as to why I don't say that or do that for my own purchase. So firstly, when it comes to the, the assessment of a property's value, as a buyer's agent, when we assess the property's value or estimate of value, if you had five, six, or even seven different professionals, whether they be buyer's agents, mortgage brokers, or valuers, you would get different opinions. And so as a result, if we already know even the top tier of professionals, property valuers had three or four of them, you'd get different opinions. And if you're not aware of that, you should actually try and test it. You will not get the same opinion for three or four full valuation reports. So there is this element of personal bias or opinion when reviewing the value of a property. And that means that the only value that's actually true is the value that the market pays, because that is a transacted upon price. Everything else is opinion, bank, valuer, buyer's agent, professional. So using this understanding of opinion and how it can differ each time, imagine if I bought you a $550,000 property and I said to you that based on my opinion, this is an under market value of 50K. Therefore, I'm telling you that this is an amazing deal because it's a 600K valued property, but 550K is what we bought it for. Big pause. Who was the one who did the valuation assessment? Me, the buyer's agent at 600K. So then Again, that's just one of the many opinions. And if I bought it for you for 550, maybe this is a declining market. Have you ever thought of that? I mean, technically, if I was buying everyone under market values and I believed that this city had long-term potential and I kept buying many people under market value properties, I would therefore be assuming either A, the value of that market is going down or B, I'm incorrectly assessing properties for more than I think they are and buying them for less than what I think they're worth. Can you spot the difference here? So the key here is that in almost all, if not every scenario, and I'll maybe go through the scenarios that aren't those scenarios, and that leads me on to the second buzzword, is that valuations on a purchase property are the purchase price in most occasions. If you've overpaid, then they can sometimes come back less, or if you have a valuer from the bank who represents the transaction going through or not, may value it less. But when it comes to a purchase and a sale, that is the valuation of the market. Otherwise, many other people would have beat you to it if it was worth more and they would have paid more. Now, hold on a minute, Arjun, but what if it was an off market and it was under market value because I got a great deal on it? Well, I have some myths to bust. Firstly, it would traditionally, if not in all scenarios, be valued by the bank at the purchase price. And then post-valuation, the bank would require multiple comparable sales, which means time to allow those sales to come in to then value it for more. See where I'm coming from? Because I just added two more filters now. Time and sales. What if I said to you that this was a growing market and those sales were just more growth happening and the time was more growth happening during a three-month window, which then created a 5% value increase? How is that under market value again? The only way that's under market value is if your property now increases in 10% whilst the market moved in 5% and all comparables were the same ones that you used back when you first assessed it, which is an extremely rare sequence. And 
if the volume of these sequences were very, very high, they would represent a lot of transactions in a given area, which therefore mean declining value, not under market, because what you're comparing and constantly buying is below, un- below market. And if you keep buying below market, that area must be declining because you keep buying in an area that's below market. So it's, care- it's very much a, a careful thing that you need to do here, which is assess, A, is comparable analysis done correctly? Because if someone's constantly over in their range or constantly under, my opinion there is that if they're under and keep missing out, then they're not assessing it correctly in the conditions. And if they're over and they keep getting deals, either someone's pulling your leg in the assessment of the value or the area's declining. And both aren't great results. Occasionally, sure. But every single time, a promise around under market value, that can mean one of those two things is happening. And both of those don't sound like a fair picture. So I hope this gives you a lot of context in terms of the concept of under market value and why I don't truly buy it. And the reason is quite clear. It's a biased comparable analysis decision. And as a result, it's also usually purchased at purchase price. And then following, if it is purchased and valued at purchase price, then valued at more in three and six months, how can you confidently distinguish that from the actual growth of the area? Yes, in some occasions you can have growth of an area at a certain rate of other properties, but then your one may have done more. And that could represent that small and rare occurrence of it, but it's not a frequent occurrence because if it was, then you come back to the other point of declining markets. So I hope that helps you look into buzzword one under market value, which is why you don't see us make it a huge part of our vocab because what's more important is not you getting constant deals in a market, it's you being in an area that is seeing prosperity, growth ahead, and as a result, growth in jobs, economy, housing prices, rental prices, and an improved outcome for you and your family from revaluing assets, extracting equity, or in future selling or increasing the rents on the assets. That is where the real value comes in, and a market's holistic strength and stability is what drives that, not the one deal you made that you seem to feel is under market value, but in reality is just a comparable assessment with a purchase price that's having a large gap between it. And that comparable assessment's done by the same person who's purchasing it for you. So it's really important to be mindful of that. Now, that leads me on to the second part, which is the folks going, hey, but my valuation did come out for more. And it did come out for more at the time of purchase or before purchase. And CBA said, CoreLogic said, ANZ Property Profile app said, whatever it may be, here's the problem. This is now leading to the term called instant equity. So with instant equity, this is the term of, hey, when we bought this, it valued up instantly more. Firstly, it's really important that a valuation assessment is only done at the time of a contract of sale being fully executed and provided to a bank. There are some very critical reasons as to why all the preliminary reviews of value, whether it be via your broker, a banking application, a system application, or even a valuation assessment by a bank, isn't all that valid. Because what happens in the world of valuing properties is they're given a target price. And that target price is typically either met, which means the valuation came back as per purchase price, or that target price is met under, meaning it came back less. You will not see valuers constantly put their neck out on the line to say, you bought this for 400, 
I noted a target price of 400 on the contract of sale, and I'm saying it's worth 500. Yeah, doesn't happen often or at all. And so the reason why is because the market, again, coming back to the point, represents the purchase price, or in either direction, the purchase prices represent the market. So the key here with this instant equity is that if it did not have a target to rely on, firstly, you shouldn't be disheartened if your system valuation says 400 when you bought it 500, because the system has so many factors that it may not actually take into account, which is why we see a huge amount of first-time and even experienced buyers constantly miss out for three, six, nine, and even 12 months and beyond. They're using weekends, they practically live and breathe property, they're seeing reports, and they see these assessments, but they don't take a holistic or manual approach of all the factors that data system cannot capture. So the key here is that firstly, you need to avoid systemed profile reports, bank valuations, until you've secured a deal and had a clause that protects you or a contract of sale that's in place that suffice that allows you to say, hey, bank, fully executed deal here, over to you for your analysis. And now the bank and the valuer can meet it or go under it, but they will not go over it again and again and again. So if you see a circumstance where it's over it and it's pre-purchase, that means it was just an estimate and the bank happened to value it for more. But the truth is that estimate comes straight back down as soon as you actually present the contract to sell and the purchase price gets adopted. In day one, of an established property, there are some variances in new builds because of the timing of settlements and things like that. In day one, the bank will not value your 500k property for 550 and lend you, you know, 500 for your 500 purchase price because they valued it at 550. That is just not going to happen. The key is they will value it at what they purchase it at, or they'll value it for less for established assets. And when it comes to valuation reports that came back for more, whether it be a buyer's agent, broker, or other. They may not have adapted the system actually receiving a contract of sale with a contract price that can either be matched or made below. They might have inserted something beforehand to get you an estimate. So the key here is this instant equity term. Where can it come up? Where can it be alive? Where have I seen it, both for my personal portfolio and where have I seen it for some of our clients? Well, let me give you the concept of bulk buying. A unit block, triplex, duplex, or even four block of four units, these are great opportunities that allow an investor to be able to actually create instant equity. And it's important to understand why they can be instant in this example and not in other examples. Now, these type of deals are more reserved for investors who have a bigger portfolio wanting to transition into these type of deals because we're now moving into the high cash flow stage of a portfolio. But I'll give you my own real example, real bank valuations and real data. I'd purchased a block of three units in Bundaberg for $581,000. I'd purchased this off market. I'd purchased this in bulk, which means that it was a triplex with three separate titles. But instead of paying individual prices, I bought it in bulk for the whole deal. And I paid one price, not three itemized price points for the deal. I also removed clauses in my negotiation. I did not have any finance clause nor did I have any pest and building clause due to the due diligence I'd done prior. So this was deemed as a fully unconditional offer. Off market, that too for a property that needed a bit of love, that too for a property that was having a seller that needed to sell. Now, firstly, with over 500 transactions, these probably have made up under 10 
of those 500 transactions. So you can see here that they're extremely rare to have every little one of these boxes ticked that I've just shared with you. However, in this example, I actually had a full valuation done. Not some system glitch, not some estimate online. We had a full valuation done where a value was then asked to value a property one of that block, property two of that block, and property three of that block, literally within the first month of settlement. And so from this perspective, what then happened is the three combined valuations now being assessed individually, the original contract of sale price could not be taken because it represented a bulk deal. The assessment is now being made on an individual unit. And that individual unit must be compared to other individual units in the area, of which this one would have been purchased at a much lower amount because of the bulk buy. And as a result, that created instant equity and the total valuations of the block came out at just around 700000 when individually titling it and individually valuing it. That only came up from the sequences I explained earlier, which is a bulk buy, off-market, no finance, no pest in building, a lot of risk attached to the deal, but also a lot of upside too. A distressed seller, putting it all together. So this is where instant equity happens. Now you might say, Arjun, why can't this happen with every single house or any house out there? Well, because the purchase of the house is at purchase price and value. That then represents the market. And then as soon as it's sold, it is a sale that's incomparable to other sales. Just want to get my head around that just one more time. It's essentially part of the mix when being assessed. It has to get taken into account when being assessed. Whereas when you have an individual unit, it was never purchased as an individual unit. It was purchased as a block of units. As a result, the individual one can never be assessed in that sell price. So now it's part of the individual unit to be assessed for its first time amongst other individual units and hence why that created it. Also, it's not recognized as a sale in bulk as the same as the sale in individual and that's the key difference. And so that's why within that first month, we were able to get a full valuation, three separate values, total to be more, and so forth. Now, why might the owner just not sell it individually or sell it at the same price times three? Well, reasons to sell, attractivenesses and clauses. And once you start selling them individually, guess what? Body corporate now gets set up, body corporate gets managed. You might not sell to an investor now because the investor might not be so keen on that individual unit as they were keen on the block. So you're losing a percentage of your buyers and now you're hoping for an owner-occupier buyer to come in and hopefully just enjoy that affordable unit. But what happens if all three of those units are tenanted, which they typically are, and the owner-occupier is not so keen to hang out for that unit to be vacant? You're losing a lot of competition, a lot of steam. So whilst they might be valued individually at that high level, they might not always sell individually at that high level. And that's why these assets can't be you know, so early in your portfolio. The key is to hold them later on in the portfolio. And so that is the concept of instant equity, where it does and where it doesn't happen. Obviously, there's so many rare circumstances in property. I might not cover that one in a million scenario. But the truth is, there are 550,000 transactions. And if everything was like all the love and advertisements and everything you see online, all the buzzwords, the websites, the barbecue chats, then if all 550,000 properties out there are suddenly being transacted at instant equity, under market value, and negotiated discounted prices, then we'd have a declining market every year in Australia, which we just don't. We have a long-term market that grows at the vicinity of 5 to 8% compounding, depending on which market. 
and 90% of all local government areas as per CoreLogic in the last 20 years achieved that 5% or more compound growth. So be very careful when you see the tone of undermarket, instant equity and so forth and really consider it for the most simple and important factor and that is comparable sale analysis. Having a look at interior, exterior, neighborhood, land size, any X factors, whether it be views, position, noise impacts, due diligence, flood, bushfire, and more. Looking at it from recency of sale, the growth in the market over the last three, six, nine months, just in case you had to go further back than you should, or the decline in the market if applicable. Factoring in all this, you can use rating scales. Superior, oh, that's similar, inferior, and assess a property holistically. So this is the key here. You're not going to get that assessment right every time because as mentioned, five valuers get it different from each other. They're not all scoring the same ones if you ordered five valuations on your place today. But what it does do is it sets you up a fair price analysis based on comparable value. Now, the eye of the beholder, right? That's the person who's going to decide on whether they think they bought it under or not. But the truth is, if you at least focus on comparable sales and eliminate the buzzwords, that's the key part, really. How do you buy well against comparable sales? Most chances are, and most cases are, that you're likely to buy in line with comparable sales and not under if the market's trajectory is seeing high pressure and likely to grow. Because the odds are against you if the market's in competition and the growth is high, but they're actually also for you because it's against you because you cannot keep buying under market, right? And keep buying cheaper than comparables or keep making this so-called instant equity because that's against you. If that keeps happening, the market's therefore declining. Whereas if the market's growing and if you can buy in line with comparable sales, you are looking for short-term outperformance. We know that exists in Australian real estate. Because the long term, we know that they're all average in that 5 to 8%, 20, 25, 30-year averages. Now, if they all average that, the only way they can all average that and not grow the same in short-term periods is if they all have different periods of growth, different periods of boom, different periods of slowdown, different periods of decline. So your goal, more importantly, is firstly to assess the right market in the direction that you feel is going to perform. Then from there conduct comparable analysis to not miss out the window of this performance. Because if there's anything I've learned from studying short-term price movements in Australia, they don't last forever. You have the unique ones like Hobart that demonstrated excellence for five to six years, Orange, Launceston, Devonport, three, four, five years, Adelaide now heading into its third year of performance, and a few other cities. But it's very rare that these markets last forever. Sydney, between 2012 to 2017, Melbourne between 2013 to 2017, these markets five, six years were phenomenal booms. However, the two, three, four years is where it typically is common. So really, I'm talking research and location and data and then buying in line with comparables and if possible to get below, great. But if you see a high frequency of these so-called possible to get below, then are you even in the growth market to begin with? As we know, property is a long-term investment. Property and buying well is important. Overpaying is something that should be avoided. But to constantly feel like this buzzword of undermarket, instant equity, instant capital growth is the reality for Australia, that's not true. Otherwise, again, coming back to it, we would be stuck in this world of constant declines. I challenge you to sit down and speak to your broker. 
talk about the concepts of at purchase price or below. Not above, because that is not happening at the time of purchase when a contract of sale is given for an established property at high frequency in the country. I hope this really gives you some insights into the world of valuation, instant equity, property reports, under market value, and really takes away some of these buzzwords and the impact they can leave you with making a decision on property and really save you from either A, feeling like this high emotion of getting a deal, B, feeling like you've constantly been missing out because you keep looking for these under market value deals that are just you really getting your comparables wrong and C, focus on growth markets, holding for the long term and planting enough different flags and enough cities to create diversity so you can be one step ahead in the long-term journey and always have something moving in your pipeline of properties. Really hope this helps you set the right tone, set it straight, and tell you the truth as part of our legacy that we want to create at the Investigate podcast in educating property investors to get ahead. Instant equity can happen from time to time. Great buying from comparable sales can happen from time to time. But if it's the norm, it ain't true unless you're buying in a declining market. That's it from me, Arjun, and hope this helps you in nailing your comparable sales analysis. And by the way, if you really like the show, give it a like, subscribe, share with your friends. Lots more to come. And actually an exciting one in a later episode, we'll actually get a property value on board. Get them on the show. Unlock the behind the scenes world of what we've talked about. Hear it straight from them. They've told me all of these goodies. It's my duty of care to share it with you. Now it's time to get them on the line and really hear it straight from them and talk through property valuations. Let's get rid of the buzzwords. Let's stay focused on great research, great buying, and long-term results for your portfolio.